And then she came into the bedroom and she said, I want to check you. And I said, no, I don't want to be checked. Um, and, uh, and cause I, I knew it's discouraging if you get checked and then you find out like you're one centimeter, like I was in the morning, or if she came and checked me then and she was like, you're four centimeters, you know, it would be frustrating to hear. So I was like, I don't want to hear it. So I said, no, I don't want to be checked. And she said, well, I'm leaving then. And I said, well, are you sure? You know, that <laughs> I've been in labor for 16 hours now and maybe you should stick around. And she like sort of scoffed and looked at me like, if you went to the hospital now, they wouldn't even take you. And I was like, fine then. I said, okay, bye. Hello, beautiful soul. Thank you for joining me today for another amazing, insightful episode. Sheena Purcell is a jeweler living in Montreal, originally from Cape Breton. I highly recommend you check out her work. Owning one of her rings is, is a little goal dream of mine. In this story, she shares her journey from her first C-section birth in Japan to birthing with birth companions 12 years ago in Montreal and to the midwifery care she received for her third son eight years ago in Montreal. I'm very excited to bring to you these episodes, these shows, these women's stories that share diverse experiences. As you can see, not one birth pregnancy experience is the same, even for the same mother and the same family. Now, I usually share a little bit in the introduction about how I'm doing. We just got over the nastiest sinus thing. <laughs> the five of us were all quite sick at the same time. And I've been diving into some parenting philosophies as my eight-year-old grows and enters some kind of crazy preteen phase. I hope to have a friend on talk about the nine-year change in the Waldorf education philosophy. They talk about these significant changes at the age of uh, seven, the seven-year change, the nine-year change, and I believe there's another around 12 or 14 significant changes that we will see in our children and in how they, they see and experience life. And I am learning and growing so much in this phase of my eight-year-old. And one of the biggest things I'm learning is that she is not me. She's really her own person. And this might seem obvious, maybe other parents caught there faster than I did, but I find um, I've made a lot of choices, you know, for my children and I'm seeing that part of them are subconsciously trying to heal things from my own childhood. And I think a lot of this is very good, very good, has, has brought a lot of benefits to our children, to our family, to the way we, we live our life and um, how we handle our marriage. Um, but at the same time, my children are not me. They're not me and my siblings. They're living a completely different life. And so the expectations... You know, I have to have very different expectations of them and I'm really working to meet them where they're at and in who they are. My elder daughter has been a bit slower on the reading and writing front, although in Waldorf philosophy, she's right on time. And it's been very interesting for me to grapple with this as I was an excellent student very early on. Um, which did have its good and negative consequences. And so, yeah, learning to, to meet her where she's at, to look at her and just love her for who she is and where she's at has been some really deep work. And I can see the fruits of it already coming in the way that we relate, in the way that she looks at me and wants to be closer to me. It's very interesting. So I share this with with you parents most likely you know either pregnant or um you know with a first baby or second third whatever number birth workers uh, could give some perspective as to possibly what's coming in the future 
so take a deep breath, ground yourself, even if you're busy, just take a moment to let this breath wash over you and relax you, fill you up. And let's dive into Sheena's story. Okay, welcome, Sheena. I'd like you to first introduce yourself and kind of what you're doing, what you're doing now, and then maybe start with where your doula work started, where your motherhood journey started. Okay, um, so my name is Sheena Purcell. I um, am currently a full-time jeweler, and um, I've been doing that for the last uh, 11-12 years, something like that. And um, I am the mom to three boys uh, who are 16, 12, and 8 years old. So... Um, I worked as a doula on the side along with my jeweler business for um, a number of years, about seven, eight years, kind of. Um, and uh, I stopped it uh, a couple years ago. And so my oldest son, who is almost 16, um, he was born in Japan. And um, I had him... I was there living with my husband as a, working as an English teacher and I uh, never really expected that I would have a baby in Japan, um, but I ended up uh, getting pregnant with an IUD. So I had the IUD in for three years, everything was going normally. And then suddenly I realized that I, my period was really late. And I was like, not even paying attention to it, you know, not even thinking about it because I had this thing. And then I was just like, oh, this is really strange. And then I started to like, Google something on the internet and read some like horror stories about higher chances of atopic pregnancies with IUDs. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, so I ran to the pharmacy, got a pregnancy test, came back. I'd never actually done one before and I did it and everything was written in Japanese. I couldn't like <laughs> the bathroom oh, and then okay. seeing this tiny line um, at the bottom, that was like one line not pregnant, two lines pregnant. And I was like, Oh my God, you know? So anyway, so that's how I ended up being pregnant in Japan with an IUD. So I had to get the IUD taken out and then everything pregnancy sort of continued uh, fine after that. So I was, uh, at that time I was 27. So it was like a bit younger than what I would have, I guess. I always imagined that if I was going to have a kid, I would be back in Canada. I wouldn't be in Japan. Yeah. But um, at the time, we were already there for two years. And I was like, we're in the middle of, like, we have a house, we're working, like, I wasn't planning on leaving at that point. So I said, Okay, we'll stay here, we'll have the baby. My, we made plans that my mom would come and help me for six weeks or something like that around that time when um, I was having him. So um, and uh Toward like so then when I it was time to give birth, um, I just ended up in that. T like what happened with me was that my water kind of started leaking early, and then I was like around thirty six weeks then, and or thirty seven maybe thirty seven weeks, and so it's like but labor didn't start, so I was like waiting and waiting and waiting, and like in Japan, like you have the options basically you have the option either to go to a big hospital, small private hospitals, or uh, you can get a midwife and be at a birth center, or you can be at home. So like all of birth related things are not covered by the healthcare in Japan. So mm -hmm. they have very good healthcare for everything, but then pregnancy is considered to be a choice and it's not um, considered a health thing, although it is very managed. Like when you are pregnant in Japan there, give you ultrasounds for every appointment, like, and they charge you for them all as well. So you have to pay for everything. Um, not a ton of money, but it'll be anywhere between $30 to a hundred dollars every time you go for an appointment, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, and at the end, by the end of it, I was like, I don't want to get ultrasounds all the time. Like, this is silly. It's not, you can't see anything. It's like a waste of time. But I was my first pregnancy and they, they're always kind of shocked if you ever say no to things. But, um, 
anyway, and so birth as well, you, it's not covered. You have to pay for it. So um, depending on the city that you live in, it would, it ranged. But in my city, it costs $3,500 Canadian to give birth. But then the city would give you the money back as a thank you for having a baby gift. Okay. Um, so whether you had your baby in the hospital or at home with a midwife or whatever, it costs the same $3,500 across the board. And then it would be reimbursed. So even for, even for um, like ex, expats, people. Who yeah. From yeah. Long, yeah. Exactly. Cause we were already living there working and we had re- like a resident, we had a work permit. So we had healthcare and stuff like that while we were there. So yeah, okay. it didn't matter. Um, so um, I just, naively chose the small private hospital that was near my house. And I was like, Oh, it looks quite nice. You know, I visited a few <laughs> different places and it's, it's small. I have 12 rooms um, and I have a clinic on the main floor. They make everything look really beautiful. So I was just like, Oh, that's lovely. It's all private rooms. It's easy. It's close to the house. You know, that'll be fine. But like underneath it also very busy clinic, you know, like they're doing a lot of births. They're doing a lot of, uh, day patients that are coming in for all kinds of different procedures and stuff like this. So anyway, so when my water back to when my water started leaking, it was like, you know, you cruise into the hospital and I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, um, I'm not in labor yet. So I don't want to do anything. I want to wait. And, uh, and they were just like, oh, how could you dare? You know, like the water is leaking. You need, you do need to have the baby. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to wait for the contractions to start. And so I'm, I went home and then like the next day they said, you have to come back the next day. So the next day, come back. And then they're like, well, then they started getting nervous. And then they said, okay, what you have to do is every day you have to come back and get IV antibiotics. So this was our, like our negotiation it was like, they weren't used to having, a foreign lady sort of arguing with them. Like the Jap- Japanese women are not like that. Like, right. you know, if they say you're going to do this, 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 and this, there's okay, no problem. You know? So then they were just like, didn't know what to do with me. So they said, okay, you have to come back every day and get your IV antibiotics and then you can go home. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do this. You know? And how and did so- you know to not hand over your birth at that point? Was it something you read or was it like, in- you just, you just felt you didn't want to do anything. How did you know to, to refuse what they, what they were asking you to do? Well, I knew that I wanted to have a natural birth. And like, I knew that if I went for, uh, started Pitocin and did an induction that it, the chances of that happening were going to go get less and less. So, um, I just wanted to wait until the contractions would start, you know, but the thing was, I was getting more and more stressed with this situation. The fact that my water was broken, I'm in a foreign country like the contractions were not starting, you know, I was getting basically like Braxton Hicks, but I did manage to wait for five days like this. So I did this every day. I would go for five days and get the, the antibiotics. And then after on the fifth day, it was like, I just, it was just too much pressure and the contractions were not starting still. And I was just like, ah, so I said, okay, I agreed to do the, to go into the hospital and start um, like the Foley bulb first. We did that and then went on to Pitocin. So, but it was like the Pitocin started to cause like, you know, the typical, the typical stuff that happens with like an induction and started to cause stress on my son's heart rate. So I convinced them to stop it. Cause I knew that that was because of the Pitocin. I was like, you have to yeah. stop. And so as soon as they stopped the induction, his heart rate went right back to normal. And I was like, see, I told you. But they, it was like, by then, once you're in this situation, it's like, there's very little that you can do. So it was like, I, they said, well, you can wait until the next tomorrow morning. And we'll, so, um, basically what was the part that was at like that, like there was a lot of communication breakdown basically during the birth. So it was also really stressful because like the midwives, what they call midwives are basically like nurses that work at the hospital in Japan. And they were. Um, like one of them had worked with the Amish community in the United States and she spoke English well, but like when it came down to explaining things and what was happening when I was going through this like long induction that like really wasn't working well, she couldn't explain what was going on. So at some point, like during the birth, she was like, well, you have to do this because it's, or else it's bad for the baby. And I was like, well, what do you mean it's bad for the baby? 
And like, she brought me medical textbooks in English and was like, here, you can read about it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm on Pitocin. Like the contractions are coming every two minutes and lasting for a minute, you know, maximum, you know, I, I can't read a friggin' medical textbook right now, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so I ended up with C-section and, um, and it, it went as, you know, as okay as it can go, you know, I was really didn't want that, but um, it was okay. Except afterwards, I ended up with this very bad um, side effect from the epidural, which causes uh, like spinal fluid to leak onto your brain, which causes a very major, major um, migraine for a week. And so I didn't really understand why I was in so much pain after. Um, and they couldn't, they weren't understanding as well that what what was happening with me mm -hmm. so they weren't able to tell them like you have to lie if you have this you have to lie flat as a board you can't lift up you can't use a pillow you can't have the, the hospital bed inclined at all you have to really be flat so only on the third day we were able to communicate enough to realize what was going on with my my with this thing with this spinal fluid thing and they were like oh you have to lie super flat and then as soon as I did that like I didn't get the pain the headache would go away but if I moved oh it all it, it would come back like I felt like I was getting like smashed in the head with like a, a hammer it was really really bad so it was much worse than the c-section or c-section recovery or anything this headache was crazy and in North America if you have that like they'll do um like a blood patch on your back to actually seal the leak but they didn't do that in Japan like because they just didn't really realize what was going on or whatever so I just had to wait for it to go away which took a week but uh so it was hard at the beginning you know with a new baby and you're trying to breastfeed and you've got this crazy headache um but anyway so overall it was pretty I felt like it was pretty rough uh experience um so after that like we a year later we moved back to Canada and we came to Montreal and we you know we started working and doing things and then like I had um, my second son um, three years later, uh, three years after my first son. So with him, I was 100% firm in my decision of not going to the hospital unless I was dying. So I did not feel safe or comfortable in that situation. And so I like everybody in Montreal, as soon as if you want to get into the birth center, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, you call and you put your name on the waiting list. So I did that. And he was due in the middle of the summer. So July, 20, uh, the end of July was when he was due. So I'm like, um, you wait and you wait and you wait. In the meantime, I had a family doctor that was following my pregnancy. So, um, and then uh, the time is going by. So I got to around 20 weeks and I started to get more and more like stressed that I wasn't going to get a spot. So I started calling them and I was like, just tell me straight up, like, am I going to get in or not? You know, I need to know. And uh, they said, look, you're due in the middle of the summer. All of the midwives take their vacations. This is just, we just take less clients. We just take less patients in the summer. So you're not going to get in. And I was just, Oh, wow. I was like, so what am I going to do? So I started calling all of the different birth organizations in Montreal. And um, I knew that underground midwives did exist, but I just didn't know how to find them. So yeah. I started calling a few different organizations and then like desperate, like lady on the phone, like, tell me who they are. I need to know, you know, <laughs> and then um, somebody called me back and um it was the midwife's assistant. So basically they sort of talked to you a bit on the phone. We got an idea if I was like, you know, serious or not. And, um, and then we met. And so um, we made plans to uh, have the underground midwife and her assistant follow my pregnancy and um, that I would have the baby at home uh, with them. So um that is what I did. And uh, they were really great. They were, um, were a wonderful team. They seemed like they were very knowledgeable in everything that they were doing. Although they were, because my midwife had done her training uh, in the United States, it was not uh, recognized in Quebec. 
So they were working outside of the system. So, mm-hmm. and, um, um, but uh, it was really, for me, I felt more comfortable and more safe to be at home than in a hospital. So that was like a very, um, it was a very good choice for me to go with them. And so you, basically, um, you basically had like a traditional birth companion, birth attendant. That's what they're kind of being called now because they, if they call themselves midwives, they get in a lot of trouble. Right. And I think right, in, Quebec, yes. it's, in Quebec, it's even more serious. I think they come mm-hmm. after people a lot more harshly than in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm sure they must have explained that to you. Like there must be, there has to be a lot of trust on their part to the women that they're working with um and I guess you didn't know anyone else who did this I find it kind of bold even 12 years ago um to to go out and do this but there was that you you were just set on what you were gonna do and and you just went out and did it was there any fear around it no (laughs) I wasn't afraid at all um but I, after my experience in the hospital, I just knew that I had to sort of let go of everything that had happened before in a sense and just sort of try, you know, I I still felt confident in my own ability to have a natural birth and have a VBAC and all of this. And I knew that my midwife herself had had, the reason she went into um, attending births was because on her fourth birth, she ended up with a C-section and it was a really traumatic birth. And she was like, things need to be different, you know, like it doesn't need to be like that. So, um, and her assistant had also had a vaginal birth and then um, a C-section first and then a V-back afterwards. So like both of them had Hmm. personal um, experience as well with my situation. So I really felt like they were supportive of of, uh, me and what I was doing. So I was like, we're going to do this together. If they're going to make the call that we have to go to the hospital, then we have to go to the hospital. You know, like it's going to be a legit reason. It's not going to be just because, you know, X amount of time passed or because, um, you know, whatever, you know? So I felt like they, we, I would have a much more honest chance to um, give my body and myself the chance to give birth uh, as I was, as I wanted to. And your partner, your partner was fully on board as well. Yeah. Yeah, he was fine. He just, he was like, your mental health is more important, like to be able to try and do this your way, you know, um, after what had happened last time. And it wasn't like I really suffered into like a great postpartum depression or anything like that. Like everything was okay after the C-section, but I knew that I really wanted to try yeah. to avoid that again. So, um, and um yeah, so the birth was really great. You know, I felt um, I have long, long labors with short contractions that are come close together for the whole um, for a very long time. So like I've generally my labor will be like 21 hours, but then I'll have short 30 to 45 second contractions every two minutes for mm-hmm. 21 hours. And then I just pop out a baby very quickly at the end. So there's not really like uh, it doesn't follow a typical pattern of, uh, of labor. So, um, but, uh, they were really great because the assistant came in to check on me a few times during the labor. And then towards the end, um, she called the main midwife and she was like, yeah, it's getting close to the time, you know, you can come. So she came a few hours before I gave birth. And, um, so she was there. Um, and then they both, finished up, cleaned up, all of that stuff, and then they went home. So, and then they still follow the same kind of schedule as a regular, as the public midwives here in Montreal, where they will come to your house the next day, and then six days later, and then six weeks later. So that's sort of, um, or maybe they came on two weeks as well, and then six weeks. Anyway, they come a couple of times after to check up and make sure everything is going well. That's so, um, yeah, I felt like it was, um, it was really good. Um and it was interesting. What was kind of funny was like, uh, there's like no, in Montreal, there's like zero connection between the, ho- like the hospital system and the midwife system. So it's like, I had this family doctor that was following me through that pregnancy. But then when I decided to switch to um, the, the midwives, the traditional midwives, I had to tell my doctor that I wasn't going to 
give birth with him, you know? So at, like right at the very end of my pregnancy, I was like a, a couple weeks before I had to continue. I felt like I had to continue my appointments to sort of make it look not so, too suspicious, mm-hmm. but right towards the very end, it was a couple weeks before I said, Oh, I'm not going to be giving birth here at the hospital. Um, I, I got a spot with one of the, the midwives at the birth center. And he was like, Oh, really? I said, yeah, I'm going to have a home birth. And, uh, and he was like, and he's like, Oh, which, which, ho- which, uh, birth center. And, uh, and I can't remember what exactly I said, but he was like, well, I don't think it's a good idea. You know, you're going to have a feedback. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's like, I feel comfortable with that. That's what I want to do. And he was like, well, I want to talk to your midwife. And I was like, no, no, she's, uh, she's very busy. Like she was not going to be able to talk to you or anything like that. But um, anyway, so, and he, but it was funny because uh, he, I think he realized that I was going to do whatever I wanted. And then uh, he actually called me, you know, a couple of days after I had the baby from his private cell phone was like, how did it go? Are you okay? Was everything okay? And I was like, yeah, everything went good. I had the baby at home. Everything was fine. So he was, uh, it was, it was nice to sort of checked in, but, uh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So he like kind of had some fears, but didn't push too much. And then no. was actually personally invested and checked in on you. Yeah. Yeah. He's still our family doctor today. So, um, so did you tell anyway. him in the end, like eventually, did you tell him? That no, I don't think they did. No, 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 I don't think so. I just, I didn't want anybody to get in trouble. So I just kept things yeah. uh, mm-hmm. low key. Um, and I guess some, time so in between my second and third son is when I started to think about becoming a doula so that was when um I I started thinking well this is something that I'm interested in and that I'm passionate about my kids were little um and I by then I knew a lot about you know birth and how things go and stuff so I decided to do my doula training and um I did it with a mother with doula training here in Montreal and um so at that time, it was sort of, um, I was actually pregnant with my third son when I did the training. And I, it was a two like a weekend training that stretched over one month, uh, like you would do one the first weekend one month, and then the second weekend the next month. And then um, my so I did the first weekend. And then my grandmother died right before the second one. So mm-hmm. I had to go back to Nova Scotia. So I missed this part two. So, and I was like, figured, well, I'm going to have a baby soon anyway. So I'll just wait and I'll do the second part next year. So went because she, they were only offering the course once a year in Montreal. So um, a year later, when my son was like six months or something like this, I did the second part of the training. And um, so when he was about one, I started to, um, attend births and um and how was his birth um so with him I actually got a spot uh with both of the birth centers here in Montreal so I got one first with uh, the Point Claire midwives and then the second one with the um Côte de Neige midwives mm-hmm. and um I uh I was sort of surprised he was doing June so I guess that was early enough outside of their peak season that it wasn't uh, an issue. And I figured, well, I already got the spot at the Point Claire one. I'll just stick with them because I already had made contact with them. So um, I, um, I had really loved the, the birth attendance that I used for my second birth, but in the end, it just came down to finances. It still cost um, at that time about $2,600 for the, them. So yeah. And with the public system, it's free. So I said, well, I'll just, I'll do that. You know, I've done one home birth before. It's not that big of a deal. It's going to be fine. So I, um, you know, you were assigned a a midwife and um, I, it was a very different experience, definitely going to the clinic, um, to the the Maison de Naissance. And um, I felt like the midwife was stretched a lot more thinly. Um, She was uh, very tired a lot. And so I would come to the appointments um, she had been at birth all night. She was doing clinics all day. She had small children of her own. She was exhausted. Like, 
you know, she, it was very difficult for her to like the appointments would be scheduled for an hour, you know, and we didn't really have that much to talk about, but I could see that she was really struggling through the appointments, like with exhaustion, you know, and, um, I felt a bit bad for her that she was like, it was obviously difficult for her to, um, to do the things, mm-hmm. to do the appointments and stuff. And it was just too much that it seemed like she had too much on her plate. So anyway, I was like, well, we'll have the birth. It's fine. You know, I'm pretty independent. It'll be fine. You know? So, um, one, one of the, like, so when it, um, came to the day that, um, I went into labor. Um, I, I'd actually, uh, it was for, I was 41 weeks. So I, um, I had agreed to do a sweep that time. And mm. so I was, uh, I had that done. And then right afterwards I started cramping and I went home and I could feel that like labor was going to start that night. So what year did you give birth to your last son? My last son, 2014. Okay, that's when my my Leia was born with the those same midwives in November two thousand fourteen. Okay, so this would have been in June, so it was just before yeah, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And uh, so I that like with my second birth, I my my labor also started in the nighttime, and I made the foolish mistake of like staying up and like mm-hmm. I don't know what bouncing on the ball or counting contractions or something silly like that. And that time, so with my third, I was like, I'm going to bed. So I forced myself to go to sleep and I was woke by three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep anymore, but at least I got like a couple of hours in because I felt like with my second birth, I was just so tired because I'd stayed up all night the night before. Yeah. And I had very long labor. So I was sort of expecting again, a long labor. And um, so when I got up at three, and I just started like dealing with the contractions and moving around. My, my mom had come. So my mom was there. Um, and with my second birth, my, my sister had been there. Um, so it was, uh, my mom was around. And um, so I just sort of like passed the time. And the, again, it was exact same pattern of labor, you know, short contraction, 30 to 40 seconds, every two minutes, exactly the same. So I was like, I called the midwife in the morning and I was like, and I said, I'm in labor. Um, and she said, okay, I'm going to come by and, um, and check on you. And I said, okay, so maybe around 10 o'clock in the morning she came and, um, she did a cervical check. And at that time I was like one centimeter or something like this. So did you have cervical was, checks with the, um, the traditional midwives? Um, I'm trying to not really, I don't think so. No, I think they did one towards the end because I was really, um, like having strong contractions and I was eight centimeters by then. And my, my bag of waters was bulging and they did some maneuvers to like put me in a funny position and put pressure on my hips to make my water break. Like they wouldn't break the, my water, but they knew that if, the water broke, then the baby would come. So, and sure enough, like the, that did happen. They pulled me onto my side and they pushed on my hips and my water broke. And then basically right after that, he was born um, mm-hmm. on the bed. So, but uh, they didn't do cervical checks. Uh, that wasn't like, not what they did, but the, the, the public midwives are a bit more clinical. So she did one in the morning. I was only one centimeter. And then she was like, well, I'm leaving. And I was said, okay, fine. So it was still early. It was one centimeter. I was like, no problem. You know, you don't need to hang out with me for the next, you know, 15 hours or something until I have the baby. So she left the day goes by. I went for a walk outside back in the house, you know, all of the typical stuff. We had the pool set up. I wasn't, didn't get in the water too much and took a shower, you know, a few things here and there trying to pass the time. And um, so then in the evening, at 8 p.m., the midwife came back. Like, it was getting, you know, later. And um, so by then, uh, she, I was in the bedroom. She came in the house. So she had an Iranian midwife working with her who was doing, like, the bridging program so that she could work as a midwife here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so she was really awesome. And... um but my midwife actually stayed in the kitchen the whole time and I was in the bedroom. She stayed out in the kitchen and chatted with my husband. 
And then she came into the bedroom and she said, I want to check you. And I said, no, I don't want to be checked. Um, and, uh, and cause I, I knew it's discouraging if you get checked and then you find out like you're one centimeter, like I was in the morning, or if she came and checked me then and she was like, you're four centimeters, you know, it would be frustrating to hear. So I was like, I don't want to hear it. So I said, no, I don't want to be checked. And she said, well, I'm leaving then. And I said, well, are you sure? You know, that <laughs> I've been in labor for 16 hours now and maybe you should stick around. And she like sort of scoffed and looked at me like, if you went to the hospital now, they wouldn't even take you. And I was like, fine then. I said, okay, bye. And so she walked out of the bedroom and um, my husband followed them to the door. And he, um, so the main midwife went out first and the Iranian midwife was at the door. And, she, she, and um, no, my husband said first to the main midwife before she left, he said, well, normally the labor is like this. It's short contractions for a really long time, but then she pushes really fast at the end and the baby comes really quickly. Yeah. Um, what should I do if this happens and you're not here? And the midwife um, was like, again, was like, well, that's not going to happen and left. <laughs> and, um, and so then the Iranian midwife said, I wish I could stay even just as a doula, but as soon as like in a doula role, but as soon as the main midwife makes the call to leave, uh, I am not, I'm not allowed to be here because she wasn't like fully trained yet. Although she'd worked as a midwife in Iran for 14 years. It didn't matter. You know, like she's not, doesn't have her certificate in Canada yet. So she had to leave. So they, they both left. And I was living at that point in the East end of Montreal. They both went back to their homes, one in the West Island and the other, the main midwife I, and the South shore. So one to the South shore, one to West Island, very, very far from where oh I live 45 God. minute drive both of them each way oh so my God. so they left With a and, baby. <laughs> yeah so they left like the contractions continued you know like I got in the pool I got out of the pool like it, by then by the time they left it was nine so it was uh no they stayed for a half an hour in the evening so they stayed for she stayed for an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the evening out of the full labor Anyway, so then sure enough, like the contractions got like really, really close together. And then at some point I started just like panicking a little bit. And I was like, I was like, ah, I was like, the baby's coming and the midwife's not going to be here. You know, like, and I just, and my husband was really cool. He's like, don't worry. You know, where do you want to have the baby? You want to be on the bed or do you want to be in the pool? And I said, <laughs> I want to be in the pool. <laughs> I know. And because the last time I'd had the baby on the bed and it made like big mess and all this stuff, I was like, no, do it in the pool. It's going to be like <laughs> tidy, you know? So. <laughs> the practical just, third time mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just jumped in the pool. I sent my mom to go grab some towels. So she came back with some towels. And like, by the time I got in the water, like his head was out. So <laughs> it was. And like, I think what, right before I got in the water, we called the midwife and I was like, and, and she was like, I need to talk to Sheen on the phone to see if it's like legit. I couldn't even talk, you know? So anyway, I guess they decided then that they would come back. And so I got in the water, baby's head was out. He was out like in a minute, you know, it was very, very quick. So everything was great. My husband caught him. Uh, baby was, he was perfect. You know, I started breathing right away. There was no issues. And I just stayed in the water and then um, about, I guess they had left their house right away. So about a half an hour, 45 minutes later, the midwives um, came back after he was born. And, um, and uh, did that you was birth it. the placenta yourself as well or did it? Did, no, did um, I was still in the pool. So when they came, they helped me to get out of the pool. I got onto my bed and then the placenta came out after I got into my bedroom and um I just got on my hands and knees and it just came out. So yeah. by then there would have been quite a bit of time that had passed. So it was probably ready. And um, yeah, the Iranian midwife, I had a couple of stitches that I had to do. And she was like, I have a lot of experience in this. In in Iran, everybody gets an episiotomy and stitches. And I was like, you're doing the stitches then, not that other lady. So, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, so she did the stitches and uh, it was, that was it. But um, so, and the midwife was going on vacation, like, the day after the, my birth or something. So she, when I had my six day checkup with the, it was a different midwife that came. So it was a younger woman and she came and, 
And she was like, so how did everything go? And I started telling her about how the birth went. And then it's like, you know, you're six days postpartum. I started crying. I was like, she didn't believe me. And like, she wouldn't even stay. Like she didn't even want, she didn't want to be here. You know, like basically that's what it boiled down to is that again, she was exhausted. She was tired. She felt like, I felt like she thought she had better things to do than hang around at a long, boring home birth, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, being, being a V back, I think that it should have potentially made a little bit more of an effort to stick around there, at least from the 16 hour mark on. But, um, anyway, so, um, and she was oh, this midwife, this other midwife, she's like, you should talk to her when she comes off vacation. I said, okay, I'll, I will talk to her later. But uh, by the time I saw her again, it was like months later. And I did talk to her and I did say, you know, I think you didn't, you didn't do a great, you didn't do a great job. You know, you should have stayed. And, uh, and she said, yeah, you know, you're probably right. I should have just gone to a Tim Hortons or something nearby to wait and blah, blah, blah. So anyway. Mm-hmm. This is something I hear. Yeah. When midwives are overwhelmed I mean they're human too but it is a work that requires that aspect of us of of like people attending of birth workers attending women is that sometimes there are those long labors and and they're not all the time but when they are there like we can't leave the women you don't leave yeah 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 exactly um did you feel any elation over having it done on your own or was it mostly feelings of abandonment from no no I mean I did feel a bit like that she just sort of dropped the ball and didn't do a great job but on the other hand I did feel very happy knowing that I could totally do it by myself and that I didn't really need anybody else so (laughs) but I knew that anyway like I didn't I never really felt like I felt very comfortable to be home and to have home birth. So that was something that I already felt confident with. So the fact that I was alone, like definitely wasn't, uh, it wasn't a stress or anything like that for me. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I, I did feel like happy with how, like how it, we handled it and how I, yeah, it felt like it went really well, you know, as amidst the fact that, I just felt like the way that my, the um, traditional midwives that I had, they had a better system, although they weren't working within the, the backup midwife was able to come and do the checks early on and then call the main midwife to come at the end, like they would in the hospital. The nurse keeps an eye on you, calls the main doctor when it's the time to give the baby, to have the baby. But with the public midwifery system here, it's like, only the main midwife can be there. Nobody else can be there. So that's like really stupid because then after the baby was born and then, so who shows up at my house, the main midwife, the student midwife, the backup midwife, the aide natal. So there's like four people right. <laughs> all come in my house, like after the baby's born. Yeah. And one of them went to sleep on the couch. Like there was nothing to do. You know, it was just right. it, ridiculous kind of system. You know, you could easily have, the back, like the, the secondary midwife or the student midwife or the aide natale even just stay there and keep yeah. an eye on the situation. And then, mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't do it like that. Maybe they've changed it since then. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to a, a birth center birth, but I've never actually attended a birth center. Like most women that have their babies with the birth centers, they don't hire doulas that much. So right. it's more women that are in the hospital. So right. when I did start um, working as a doula, um, yeah, it was mostly women who were having um, hospital births that either didn't, they weren't from here or they didn't have support. So they didn't really know like the system here that much, or it was the first time and they wanted like to, they didn't feel comfortable to be at home or at a birth center. Um, but they wanted sort of in something in the middle, you know, like they wanted to kind of a natural, more natural birth in the hospital. So they would hire a doula to kind of be like a buffer in between, you know, um, those did things. You, but, did you do many yeah. volunteer births or did you kind of start working no. and get paid right away? Yeah, I just started to do that. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do. I did a couple, um, with uh, some refugees. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, some refugee 
women that need it, but not, not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. Yeah. Mostly I just started to take on clients for um, paying clients. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, they're all, they're all at the hospital. Um, So, you know, there's certain way that they do things there and it definitely doesn't really jive with uh, my own preferences. But like when you're a doula, you just sort of, have to put your own preferences to the side and you're there to support the woman and help them have the birth that they want as much as possible. But when you're in the hospital, it's just so hard because the way that they do things often leads to difficult outcomes that don't necessarily need to be there in the first place if they kind of avoid it. Pitocin is a big one, you know, um, or different things that, lead to different interventions along the way so um there's a lot of c-sections that happen and a lot that are probably avoidable which is the thing that is uh hard to sit by and watch over and over again you know so it's um i got uh, a bit frustrating i guess on one hand like sometimes it turned out good and everything would be okay but on the other hand it was uh often healthy first time moms, you know, and they would end up, Oh, you know, you're 41 weeks now. So you have to be induced or, um, you know, the labor's kind of slow at the beginning. So we have to give you Pitocin, different things, diff- whatever reasons. So, yeah. And did Anyways. you find that as a doula, um, you could, you could do much to help in those situations? Um, A little bit like, you know, you can sometimes maybe um, put off certain things for a a certain amount of time. Like you can help them to voice um, that, you know, they want to wait a little bit or that they want to have try something different, like to move or to go into a pool or if they can think about it a little bit before they go into the next thing. But generally, once you're in there and you're in this sort of um, the routine and the protocols, it's, it's very hard to, to change it. You just have to accept Like if you choose, if the woman choose to be in that hospital environment, then that's the package they're going to get, you know? So it's just very rare to get, um, a fully natural birth experience in the hospital, unless you just have the most perfect labor, which most women don't have, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, it was, um, um, and it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard uh, job too. It's long, you know, like, and I, I can understand like when I have, I have three kids of my own and I have my own business and, you know, as a, it's quite a demanding thing on a family schedule, you know? So, um, that was one of the other reasons that, uh, after a while of doing it, that I started to think, well, maybe this isn't the best thing. I mean, you're definitely not in it for any money because you're not like, by the time you figure out the hours you put in, it's, uh. Yeah. You're not making much. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it's just, you have to be available for weeks leading up to the birth. And it's, uh, it's quite demanding on a family when you have uh, uh, kids and activities and things that you like to do trips and stuff like that. So at some point uh, I was realizing, like, I don't know how realistic this is to continue for the long term, you know, and um, so for me, I guess it was a combination of the system in the hospital and feeling frustrated with how things, how births went all the time there to um, the demands of my, my life um, doing doula work was just, just a hard thing. And the other thing was that um, the insurance receipts, so they started to make it so that if doulas were registered with like the naturopathic association or something you could offer um receipts for insurance and so in order to be registered on those um like as a naturopathic organization or whatever they had here um i would have had to gone back go to school uh, back to like cjep and start to take classes in um say anatomy and biology and different things like that and i was just like this is never going to happen. I'm not doing this. Like I'm doing this as a side gig. And most many women were calling me. They wanted to have the insurance receipts. So I was just 
not doing it that much. Like generally I was taking like one to two clients a month. So I wasn't doing it as my full-time business. So it, for me, it didn't make sense to start investing tons more time and money into studying and getting these courses so that I could give the receipts for insurance. So anyway, so at that point, then I just decided I'm not going to do this anymore. I did it for a few years. And then I said, okay, between these three reasons, the, the insurance receipts, the, the, demands on my life and the schedule of the kids and everything. And, um, the system, I just was like, no, I, at some point I thought, Oh, if I could only attend home births, I would do it. But, uh, yeah, people don't hire doulas that much for home births. So they have different kind of support from their midwives. So they, they don't really need it as much. So. And you mean if you could only do home births because, um, because they're less traumatic. Yeah. Like for <laughs> yeah. you even, right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to sit by and watch these births, like go through the ringer at the hospital every time, you know, like, um, when generally they're healthy, there wasn't really any real reason for it, you know? So anyway. Yeah. One thing I've uh, been accused of, but as, um, is I don't know any better. I don't, I don't know better than the doctors who have, you know, years and years of training. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to that? Well, I think that, well, I, doctors, uh, you know, of course, they're trained for emergency situations with birth. They're not trained for sitting back and waiting, you know, hours and hours for things to happen, you know, and so I think it's hard for them. And it's hard for that's busy. The hospitals are busy. The nurses are busy. Everybody's busy. So I mean, you know, ideally, if you're having a natural birth and you want to go to the hospital, you need to stay home for as long as possible. But I mean, a lot of women, they don't realize how long early labor can start, yeah. mm-hmm. how long, how long early labor can take. So, um, you know, everybody gets nervous and excited and stuff and they head off to the hospital. So, um, but, um, so yeah, I don't, of course, doctors are really good at keeping an eye on emergency situations and if things arise but I think that a normal physiological birth it just doesn't happen that often in the hospital so it's just hard it's the the two things just they don't work together very well yeah and one thing I think about is that like most most doctors like most of anyone who works in the hospital has never seen physiological birth unfold from beginning to end uninterrupted yeah, yeah, yeah. They've for sure. never, they've never witnessed it, and so it's a crazy thing to think that they can support that in any way. You know, like you said, they're yeah. not trained. The system is not built to support those kind of births. Yeah, and we have to be really real um, with women if that's what they're looking for, what they say that they want, to tell them flat out that they can't have that in a hospital pretty much do you do you it's find really hard it's really hard and it's really hard to tell people that like don't get your hopes up but you know like all of these kind of things or just keep your keep your options open like it's just it's kind of sad to say these things you know because women do have the right to have the kind of birth that they want without being stressed into these situations that are really uh, interventions that are generally unnecessary a lot of the time you know so um and I did go to one, it was like after I stopped working as a doula, um, I had one of my old clients contact me and she wanted me to come back for her second birth. So, and I went to the Jewish with her and she was actually, uh, worked in the Jewish. So, um, and it was the most amazing birth that I've ever been at in a hospital. It was just so hands off, you know, the nurse came right in the shower with her when she was laboring in the shower, you know, they, it was amazing, you know? And I was just like, this is the Jewish, like, because Jewish, the Jewish a little bit more deals with like high risk births. They're a little bit more hands on. They're a little bit more quick to jump in with different things because they just deal with a lot more um, risky um, patients, you know? So um, anyway, um, and afterwards I was just like, I can't believe how amazing this went, you know, really uh, how nice and how wonderful the staff were and everything. And I said, did they have something to like, intervention like some training that they were going to do things <laughs> different and try and lower a c-section rate or something like this like she said yeah they did because you know, she was working she worked at the hospital mm. and I was like wow well you can see it because it was a big change but that was already like a couple years after I had stopped working as a doula so 
anyway, it was, uh, so maybe things are changing slowly, I hope, but okay, um, I'm not, I'm not there to see it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hopeful. Um, and, uh, so I, I know I had told you at one point that telling women that we won't doula in hospitals sends a really strong message. Um, yeah. as to the second trauma that, that doulas in hospitals do witness. Um, one thing I remember after one of my very first births, after my, my training, mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, I felt, I felt like shock. And I felt, I, I think it was like full on shock because I was just kind of like walking the world, like what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Um, especially after having uh a midwifery birth in the birth center and seeing how much they respect like the slow unfolding of birth and then to just Mm -hmm. watch this birth get like hijacked by um by their protocols you know pulling baby out with a ventouse um I was just like I I felt it in my bones like why did this just happen it was so unnecessary yeah. And the message afterwards from some of my mentors was like, yeah, I know it's like this. Like we just process it at doula night. Yeah. 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 It's not. Uh... And it's not, I don't know. I don't think it's healthy to see. I don't know. I mean, it's on one hand, you want to be there and you want to support people. And they always, all the women were always like, I'm so happy that you were there. You know, they always were very appreciative but it's it's hard to witness over and over again this unnecessary trauma really you know so ugh, it's not um and i mean and do you find that women after their births realize what happened to them that like some of it wasn't necessary how do you find women responded to their experiences um no that's the thing that a, a lot of the time they were they were happy with how things turned out so that like on the other hand you don't even want to mention like how things could have been different because you don't want to make them feel bad about it you know like so by that stage most women were like they had the baby they're happy they're like feeling good you know so I felt like it was almost like something that you just had to keep to yourself a lot of the time um because if they were not aware of it and they weren't stressed about it then I didn't want to bring it up and make them feel worse about it, you know? Um, but I, w- I went to a birth last year with one of my best uh, friends and uh, some like the, they, the, the uh, resident um, did this thing where he like jumped, push, push really hard on her stomach as she was pushing. And I felt like it was a really horrifying thing to do. And I couldn't believe that, somebody would even do it in the, the this day and age you know mm-hmm. and um and afterwards because she's my best friend I was just like what the hell was that guy doing you know jumping on your stomach like that you know and and she was like oh like she didn't even really she's like I realized it was hurting a lot but she didn't even realize like ha- what was really happening you know so and um anyway but often I just didn't say anything you know about uh, those kind of things that would happen yeah. so I yeah. hear you. And I think I think that like the women that are served in the hospital in that way, it's not really our place to like correct their story or change their story unless there's an opening, unless they're like, yeah. hey, hey, what did you see? And what do you think about that? You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, no, for sure. If they were looking for um, clarification or any more details and like I would often keep little notes during my, the birth that I would go to so that they could see a timeline and like often things get really blurry and you know, you don't remember everything. So they always like to see those things, but I would keep it really simple, you know, as far as like, this is happening. Now that's happening. Da, 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 you know, like step by step. So. Yeah, because, yeah. And that's why I find these kind of conversations important because the other, the other thing is, is that when a woman is in labor, um, whether she's on synthetic drugs or on her own labor hormones, she's she's on drugs you know yeah like we're not in a state uh we're not in a super coherent state we're not in a state of really watching and tracking what's happening why it's happening um birth is made for us to let go and to be in different consciousness states right and so 
So it's kind of a wild thing that you, that we witness this as a secondary person, like watching it from from another perspective. And as, and and as we see more and more births, like not not all women, you know, have nine births in the hospital. You know, like they may have one, two, maybe three, and then it's like, okay, I can just forget about it. I can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then they they perpetuate their story. They tell the stories of how they were saved, all the things that terrible things that happened and how the hospital saved us. Um, I think it's important for women to start talking to those who are seeing birth often, um, seeing birth without the, you know, being like drugged up on our on our natural hormones. I mean, both stories are valid, but I just feel I see in my world um, the same thing like happening over and over and continuing to be perpetuated. And I, I hope that this can be one way that um, women can hear a different story when they're ready to kind of open up Pandora's box. And I think a lot of women, they have to go through that shitty hospital birth experience in order for them to be like, wait a minute, I deserve something different. Like it, I, I, it's it doesn't have to be like that, you know? So, but I think there's so much fear in society towards birth in general. And there's so much of this attitude from so many people that are just like, well, just take the drugs, whatever they offer you, just take them. You know, like you'll hear that a lot from people and they're so afraid to feel something. Yeah. And it's really not, it's tired. Like natural birth is tiring, but I mean, it's not, I don't know. For me, the first time, the stress was so much worse in the hospital than the pain of anything that I dealt with during my second and third births. They didn't even compare. Just the fact that all of that stress was taken away by being in my, my where I was comfortable to give birth made it already 100 times easier for me, you know, just not to have to deal with the stress. So, mm-hmm. and I know that a lot of women, when they, if you feel stressed, you can't, have a baby <laughs> so they don't go together you know so anyway they'll force it along you know with all of the stuff that they they do give but um yeah. anyway i i do hope that uh i mean i think that m- women are getting more exposure um and options as far as birthing uh, outside of the hospital so and I think that it's getting more talked about and more accepted. So it's not just like this fringe, weird thing. Yeah. Um, so that's that's good, you know, and there's more doulas. So the more doulas there are, the more people will realize like that they have options or that there's, you know, things that they can say no to even or that they can ask, can I wait? You know, just simple things that you might not think you can do on your own as a first time mom, like that you just have to go in and blindly accept everything that's, that's offered to you at the hospital, you know, but you don't. (laughs) So, and you don't have to be like fighting everybody either. You know, you can just be a little advocating a bit more for your rights, you know, by having somebody like a doula behind you that um, just helps you realize that there are, there are options. So Mm -hmm. Hopefully we'll start to see things changing a little bit uh, step by step. I do think that it is changing. More and more people that I know have their births at uh, birth centers and um, people that, you know, quite regular run-of-the-mill mainstream people, you know, not just your, I don't know, hippies and different people, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So I agree. I think it's, I think it's very exciting. I actually just hosted a, a group today a prenatal circle and there's there's many women considering birth outside the system with birth companions um just because they're fed up you know people people are fed up from hearing these stories and more people are getting more brave to try another way and to kind of follow their gut so yeah there's change and i think change you know perhaps can happen in within the system um, and I think that the the path that's being created by people going a completely alternative route outside the system is going to put pressure on the system to mm-hmm. to keep up. <laughs> because otherwise, yeah. they're going to lose a lot of clients. They already are. <laughs> so many women here are just not calling their midwives for their births. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and I, like I yeah, I know I know three that have done it in the past two years, and four that are gonna do it <laughs> just in the coming months. So yeah. wow, yeah. 
And I mean, here in, Cuba, in Montreal, anyway, they've really cracked down on anybody that was working, any um, um, traditional birth attendants that were working outside of the system. So from what I know, there's none in Montreal now that are working. I mean, maybe there are some a little bit, but whenever I ask around about it, it doesn't seem like there's much um, much going on. There's a lot of fear of um, prosecution and stuff like that. So um, that's uh, too, too bad. So. I think I know of one person kind of willing to be more of like a doula at a free mm-hmm. birth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I know of one person who may be connected to more, but yes, in Quebec. But even that, even that you can get in trouble for. That's the thing. Like you would be considered the person in the room with the most yeah. ex- medical experience. So then if something goes bad, they could be like, well, it's you that's on the hook, you know, kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's yeah. definitely in Quebec, they, they're really kind of hunting people down. Whereas in Ontario, there's kind of some really um, established birth companions with like big international names and everyone knows, um, but because they're working within their scope and their rights, um, they're not being hunted down. So we'll have to keep an eye and see if that, if that continues and how things change. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think it is good to be able to have choices you know like people if women want to give birth in the hospital at home in a birth center with a traditional um birth attendant these options should all be on the table you know so it shouldn't be that anything is forbidden so anyway it's been really uh, fun to talk about this stuff again it's been a long time since i uh got to think about the talk about my births and my experience as a doula so it was nice to uh since I'm not doing it regularly these days I actually went to a birth two weeks ago <laughs> for my <laughs> but for these days I only go uh for sisters and best friends so it's a VIP clientele only. <laughs> but so I went to my sister's birth two weeks ago so that oh, was uh was really special wonderful yeah yeah anyway yeah thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom I wish you a great day Thank you. It was nice talking to you. Thank you for being with us and listening today. Check out Sheena's beautiful jewelry work at her Instagram account, Sheena Jewelry. And don't hesitate to reach out to me for now. Instagram is the best way at This Raw Mom Life. I'm working on an email address and perhaps a website for this podcast and my work. Stay tuned for that. If you have a birth story or healing women's journey story that you want to share, feel free to connect with me and we'll get you on to tell your story. It's been really wonderful to listen to these stories, hold the space for the difficult times and provide a platform to share the learnings and wisdom that come from all of these experiences. So thank you to all of those who are reaching out to share their stories and for those who are listening and sharing the podcast. Thank you for being here and I wish you the most beautiful rest of your day.